This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We got the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl on tap to find out who is going to play in the national championship game. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we have to preview the Rose Bowl, which will feature number one Michigan versus number four Alabama, and the Sugar Bowl, which features number two Washington versus number three Texas. Both games are juicy. Both games have outstanding storylines. I'm so excited about this New Year's Day matchup. Let's get right to the first one on tap, the Rose Bowl. Number four Alabama versus number one Michigan. Michigan is a one and a half point favorite in this one. And the over-under is at 44 and a half. That means something to you. You let me know. Over here, I do the college football, the Bear, and my guy Jeff Schwartz. They do the betting podcast. You should go see them about overs and unders. But I do think this is a good way to get us started in that I didn't think that people would really be betting on Michigan to win. And that's what this represents, right? Now, one and a half points ain't much of a spread. That's almost a pick em. And if you are Alabama, you feel really good about this. There's a number of reasons as to why. And I want to get into those reasons by starting to talk about the storylines ahead of this game. Now, for me, I am a Nick Saban stan. I love Nick Saban. I love Miss Terry. I love that they have won seven national championships. And I also like that they put fear into the hearts of Michigan men. I say that because Nick Saban became the first head coach at Michigan State to beat Michigan in his year one ever. That was 1995. Saban recently beat Michigan in the 2020 Citrus Bowl. Kind of lives rent-free in the heads of all Michigan men. Now, that's the rail. The nut graph is that we're talking about Nick Saban having won seven national championships in the past 17 years. That's outstanding and ridiculous because it is one of the seminal achievements, I think, in sports because he coaches in the toughest conference in the sport, in the toughest era of football that we have ever seen. Others have come, others have gone, and yet Nick Saban continues to find ways to win. This is a man who's been coaching football since 1971 and has won in every iteration of the sport. He doesn't moan and complain about going from the Bowl Coalition to the BCS. He doesn't complain about going from the BCS to the college football playoff. He doesn't complain about the the game getting out of hand because offenses are slanted, or maybe he does complain. He just goes and wins anyway. Name, image, and likeness, he's got it. Transfer portal, he's got it. Changing the coordinators, he's got it. Nick Saban 
has it like that. As a matter of fact, the greatest living professional football coach calls Nick Saban the greatest there is. The Dragon Balls are all with Saban as far as Bill Belichick is concerned. The quote here is, there's nobody I respect more in football than Nick Saban. And I don't think there's any, there's a better coach than Nick Saban. Belichick said that on NFL Plus's Nick Saban, the greatest college coach of all time. Saban has produced more first round NFL draft picks than anybody else. Nobody's put more first rounders into the NFL than that man. Means that, quite honestly, in the words of the babyface Canadian, he's the best there was, he's the best there is, and I think he's the best there ever will be, right? That's on top of this team that he's coaching, the 2023 team. We didn't think it was going to be that good. And you know what? We had good reason to. They're very, very young, incredibly young, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They're incredibly young at quarterback, and they were unproven at quarterback. He changed over both of the coordinators, one in Kevin Steele, who he's familiar with, but still coming back in what is basically a year one as defensive coordinator. And then he goes with an offensive coordinator that is younger than I am. And Tommy Rees, in year one, sticks him with three quarterbacks, one in which he kind of sort of knows in Tyler Buckner, two in which he's having to learn. And he's got to cycle through those guys through the first two, three games to find out what's what on that Alabama offense and then build it around what Jalen Milrow does best. But this is also important for me because they made the college football playoff in a year in which we did not expect Alabama to be that good, especially after they lost by double digits to Texas. But also... I didn't expect to talk about Nick Saban winning his eighth national championship, or the, I should say the prospect of him winning his eighth national championship so soon. For, for perspective here, Oklahoma, my favorite team, has been playing football for more than 125 years, won seven national championships. Ohio State, basically the same amount of time, has won eight national championships. Michigan has won 11 national championships, but nobody has won more national championships since 2003 than the Nick Saban program, a.k.a. The process, a man who personifies outcomes are a distraction. The point is the details. Forget the scoreboard. Did you execute on every single play? This is a man who's still getting into his players behinds up a million, right, against FCS opponents because that's how he is wired and that's how he wants his teams to be wired. And I'm grateful to say that we live in an era like this one where I get to tell all the kids, hey, look, it's not that the state of uh, the saving stories are untrue. It's that if anything, those stories have been watered down because he's been that great. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, we have the Michigan Wolverines who, while Saban is chasing his uh, uh, professional legacy, we're talking about a number one ranked Michigan team that might be the best Michigan team we've seen since 1997, but in the process has turned Ric Flair heel in an, attempt, uh, in an attempt to become extraordinary and kind of personifying Eddie Guerrero with being accused of, we lie, we cheat, we steal, while they also go, we fight, we win. You know what I'm saying? That's where Michigan is. And I think it's getting even more out of hand when we look at the stories on the Michigan side of the ball. Number one, Jim Harbaugh and all that he represents. It's a man that could coach half the regular season and not only win a national championship, but go 15-0 and 0 in the process on top of what has been a tremendous turnaround since 2021. Harbaugh missed the first three games, right, after misleading NCAA investigators over recruiting violations. Okay. Then he sat out the final three regular season games after 
the NCAA launched its investigation into their electronic sign stealing, which spanned over three years in 34 stadiums, and one dude named Connor Stallions. All right, cool. Then they went and beat, uh, beat Ohio State for the third time. Then Harbaugh was offered $125 million in 10 years, only if he doesn't go to the NFL, and he still might go to the NFL. The NCAA leveled more violations at Michigan just before Christmas, and Jim's brother, John Harbaugh, has the best team in the NFL, the best player, Lamar Jackson, in the NFL, and beat Jim straight up in the Super Bowl. I kind of think that winning a national championship for Jim Harbaugh ain't going to mean that much when he goes to dinner with his brother because his brother got the ring. He got, he, he got the ring everybody chasing and the one we still think that Jim Harbaugh wants because as much winning as he has done at the University of Michigan over the last three years, Every single year, we're talking about whether or not this man is going to be an NFL head coach. And, and perhaps this is that season, especially if he wins a national championship, in which case I believe Michigan fans will clap for him on the way out because that's all they want. They want to win a national championship. They want to do it this way, going 15-0, and and they got a shot here. Now, I think it's important to notice the last time that Harbaugh and Michigan played against Saban and Alabama, they got pantsed. In the Citrus Bowl. And I say that because it's true. Like, it's almost like Nick Saban in Alabama where Scott Summers looking at Wolverine after hollering at Gene Gray. Okay? Like, they didn't take this the way that I thought they would. They were absolutely coming for their heads. And I know this because Najee Harris went for 136, two TDs. Jerry Judy went for six catches, 204 yards. And Matt Jones went 19 to 25, 327 in a 35-16 win. Alabama acted like a team that knows how to win a New Year's Day, New Year's Six Bowl game. Michigan hadn't done that in the college football era, and that is also college football playoff era. That is also the reason why I think Alabama is sitting pretty in the Rose Bowl. They know what it takes. This is their eighth appearance in the college football playoff since its inception. That's ridiculous. Meanwhile, Michigan's been here twice. Got beat down by an SEC opponent named Georgia. Then got embarrassed by Texas Christian in Glendale, Arizona. Okay? It ain't been looking good for the Wolverines once they get to this high altitude where winning is necessary and where we really get to separate the great from the elite. Are you elite or not? Right? That's the way that Kirby Smart would put it. It turns out Alabama showed with a win against number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs that they are indeed elite. But again, it's about the players, players on the field. Players on this large stage, hit your marks. Don't flub your lines. Judgments will be made. Respect will be paid. Okay? You want to leave a legacy, this is one of those games where you get to do that, which is a great way to talk uh, to start talking about the young squires and the keys to the game. All right? So I'm going to start with Alabama here. For me, it's real simple. Jalen Milrow, you got to get mobile, dog. Like, Jalen Milrow still holds the ball too long. And I say that as an absolute Jalen Milrow stand. But as soon as that man learns to get rid of the football, he's going to be lethal. Even now, he's a terror on a football field because he's been growing with each passing game he plays. After getting bitched, I might add, after throwing two picks against Texas in a 10-point loss, right? He earns his way back onto the field, and he's done nothing but be great. He's had a 10-to-1 TD-to-INT ratio in Bama's last five games, those are including LSU and Georgia. And I include LSU here because LSU 
got to see what he could do with the full dose. 155 yards on the ground, four TDs on top of throwing for a chunk of change against that LSU defense. Now, keeping Milrow upright is also going to be paramount for Alabama. That's my number two for their key to the game. Look, the Tide have allowed 43 sacks this season. That's that's just not good. It's not good. Second most in the SEC. But they've also managed to learn how to play cleanly lately, allowing just eight sacks in their last five games. Now, at the skill positions, they're not really awesome. They're good. They're good, right? They got Isaiah Bond out there, right? They got Roy Dell Williams in the backfield. They got Jam Miller for what they can do out there. You know, look, they even got a Jermaine Burton, who I think you would say is your big play, uh, big play guy, but not a thousand yard receiver, right? It's really an offense that I think is the one Nick Saban most loves to run. One that stays out of the way of his ridiculous defense, lets the defense go to work. And I think that is going to be really the story of this game is these two defenses are outstanding and which quarterback can make plays. And I'm giving that to Jalen Milrow, not necessarily because I just think he's a better quarterback than J.J. McCarthy, and we'll get to that, but also because Georgia chose to double spy this man and they still couldn't stop him moving around, making plays with his feet. I've never seen a defense, let alone the by God Georgia defense, commit two men to personally tracking the quarterback and still they couldn't do nothing with him like that that for me is enough that makes him the most dangerous player on the football field when he is on the football field if Milrow can make plays then Alabama has an opportunity to not just beat Michigan but to win an eighth national championship in my goodness since 2009 which is ridiculous right I mean a seven Nash championship since 2009. It would be eighth of Nick Saban's. But I, I'm still, I'm getting in my way on this because I've always thought that 2020 Alabama team was going to be the peak. Like I, I thought, I still think that's the greatest team that he has ever coached, Nick Saban. Yet, if this team wins a Nash championship, it will be one of his greatest coaching efforts. And you know what? Also, pour one in for, uh, pour one out for Miss Terry, who's doing all the work on the other end. Like one of the things I learned about Nick Saban and how he's great is he's got a partner. If he's the CEO, she's the COO, right? All roads run through her. And because they're able to do this thing together, he's continuing to win into his 70s. I, I think that's remarkable. And I also believe that more head coaches should make their wives a fundamental part of the football program and not just to run their damn foundation. You got what I'm saying? If you want to get it like they got it, it's right there. They're showing you the blueprint over the last 40 plus years, even raising a family in the middle of all this chaos. Now, let's move to Michigan. Talk about the keys to the game for them. I would like, in the words of Detroit's own, Marshall Mathers III, will the real J.J. McCarthy please stand up? Okay? You got Jada from the block making you some Rose Bowl cleats. It's time for you to put on like you the best dude on that football team. All right? Before the sign stealing, we're talking about or before the science team was made public, we're talking about J.J. McCarthy being outstanding. 14 TDs, 10.6 yards per attempt passing. Since November 4th, or about two weeks after the NCAA announced its investigation into the sign stealing that allegedly was going on at Michigan, he's thrown just one TD. One. Okay? It kind of makes you think, maybe knowing the other team's defenses was kind of helpful to him and the play calling on the other side of that ball. Now, this also is, I think, interesting to point out 
that passing TD that he threw, right? It ain't necessarily indicative of how good Michigan has been because it's a team that's built on run the football and it's a team that's built on defense. That said, didn't throw a pass TD against Purdue, even though he went for 300 yards or Penn State or Maryland. And I also think that he hadn't thrown for more than 150 yards in any of those games. Okay. They have not aired the ball out. Some of this, again, is the offense that Michigan runs. They want to run the ball. They want to play ball control, and they want to give their defense opportunities to get three and outs, get it back off the field, hand the ball over to the offense to basically sit on it. But we're talking about them also playing top 20 defenses. Like, they played three in their last five games. Now, that including Iowa, right, and Ohio State, which ain't no easy wins on either one of those. But also, this, you got Roman Wilson, you got Cornelius Johnson, you got Colston Loveland. None of those dudes have more than 42 catches, 663 yards all season. And this is with a team that had been blowing people out all year long. So you've got opportunities to go get those garbage time yards if that's what you were interested in, but that's not, right? I also think it's important to note it might not get better for J.J. McCarthy against this Alabama pasty because it's a top 25 pasty, giving up just 189 yards passing per game, which, by the way, is about 39 more than what you could expect from J.J. McCarthy over the last five games. Also one in which the O-line is going to have to be dominant. Like, there are seven guys in Sharon Moore's position group that could be drafted in 2024 alone, okay? They ain't exactly played like that all year, though. You could hear that criticism when I did the live tailgate with Chris Howard and Beanie Wells at the Ohio State-Michigan game. He was very critical of this offensive line because it's not as good as the offensive line was last year that won the Joe Moore Award. That said, Michigan still ranked, you know, pretty highly in rush yards, just not very high compared to, well, their opponents. So they're number six in the Big Ten. Give it up, or excuse me, not give it up, running for 162 yards a game, which is about what? Uh, they went from 199 a game last year, so about 37 yards fewer, which is a chunk of change. It also reflects in what the running backs have done. Now, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are great, but they aren't as good as they were last year, according to the numbers. They're just not as impressive. Uh, for instance, right? Blake Quorum rushed for over 20 TDs, leads the FBS in rushing TDs this season, but he isn't as explosive as he was last year. As a matter of fact, I got it right here. He had seven explosive rushes of 30 yards or more, 20 yards or more, excuse me, this season. Last season, without playing against Ohio State or the Big Ten Championship or in the, uh, against Texas Christian in the Fiesta Bowl, he had 15. Okay, they just haven't been able to get that dude running the way that he was running last year. Some of that might be coming off of a knee injury. Knee injury. Some of that might be coming off of the play calling. And Donovan Edwards has been great pat catching the ball out of the backfield, but he hasn't necessarily been great running the ball. I'd want, like one of those dudes to absolutely take over if they expect to beat this Alabama defense, which has been really, really great. But the Michigan defense might be able to give them really the charge that they need because it's complete. Like, they're very fun to watch up front with Junior Colson and Kenneth Grant and, uh, excuse me, Mason Graham. It's also, it's also a defense that is predicated on being able to take advantage of your mistakes. Like, Mike Sandra still is an undersized defensive back, but I kind of remind, he reminds me of what Jabril Peppers was for them, where he can kind of do it all, right? Five INTs, he's getting in the backfield for tackles for loss, probably their best defensive back player since Dax Hill, right? He got it like that. He's going to have to have a big game. 
He's going to have to take away number one, number two, number three at one point or another because I guarantee Tommy Reese is going to move his better players away from that guy and probably try to take advantage of what they can get in one-on-one coverage out on the numbers. And I think that's really going to be where a battle is won or lost in big plays. And those big plays in this sort of a game could be the ones to separate because if Alabama can go up by a couple of scores, that feels like a game that Michigan can't win. It's just not built to come from behind down a couple possessions, especially late into the game. Whereas at the very least, Alabama has shown it can go get a, a big play when it needs to go get a big play. Ask Auburn about the grave digger, fourth and 31, if you want to know what I'm really talking about. But again, it's not going to be yards per play because Michigan is really good, right? Number four in yards per play this season. They got outstanding tacklers in Mike Barrett. I mentioned Junior Colson, and they'll get into the backfield, right? It's about can they get Jalen Milrow down to the ground and can they stop Alabama running the football? Because if you're going to force Jalen Milrow to throw balls over the middle, you got a real chance to win. He's just not strong in the intermediate passing game. He either has to throw it short or throw it deep. If you try to make him throw it in that 10 to 15 yard range, you probably have an opportunity to pick him off. Now, all that said, I genuinely believe Alabama is going to beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. I love what Nick Saban has done. I love that this team knows what it is like to lose and get an opportunity to earn redemption. And George is a better football team than Michigan. That, that's been the thought, right? Is when you put Georgia head-to-head against Michigan, Michigan takes an L. If Alabama can go beat Georgia in a de facto home game, which is what it is when you play in Atlanta against the Georgia Bulldogs, then you can go beat this Michigan team in the Rose Bowl. And then psychologically, Nick Saban, okay, cool. I know who Jim Harbaugh is. I know who Michigan is. I know what to do with them. And Jalen Milrow's up for this, right? You also got some outstanding players on the other side in Kool-Aid McKinstry. And maybe my my one of my favorite defensive backs when we're talking about football names, but Goodness me, if they're not great when you want to go shutting people down, because Terry and Arnold continues to just be the Trayvon Diggs of this sport, meaning he could get hit for a 70-yard pass play. He, it could probably happen. He could also pick off two passes, right? You're going to take that if you are coaching that defense. And I also think that all things being equal, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, Roydell Williams, Jan Miller, Roman Wilson versus Jermaine Burton, right? Isaiah Bond versus Cornelius Johnson, J.J. McCarthy versus Jalen Milrow. I think it's going to come down to who can outcoach whom. And I'm always going to pick Nick Saban. It's not shade to Jim Harbaugh. I pick Nick Saban against Bill Belichick. I pick Nick Saban against Bill Walsh, right? I think that Nick Saban is the greatest football coach who has ever lived. And this is going to be an opportunity for him and the Alabama Crimson Tide to prove it. All right, let's go from the Rose Bowl to the Sugar Bowl, which is the game that we will follow for the number one college football show live right here. Please go check out the YouTubes, uh, the Twitters. You can see it, schedule it so you can be here with us as we chop up who's going to play in the national championship game. Okay, number three, Texas versus number two, Washington. Texas is a four and a half point favorite in this one. Over under is uh, 62 and a half. That's the total. This has also got really, really fun storyline. Steve Sarkeesian, a former Washington head coach, lost to Washington the last time he faced uh, head coach uh, faced them as head coach at Texas. Sarge defensive coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski, also outstanding defensive coordinator for the University of Washington, and built the kind of defense that Washington came to just love over about seven years in there. I mean, it is a defense that took on the nickname of Death Row. And if you go look at what they were doing while Pete Kwiatkowski 
was there with Jimmy Lake calling the defense, I think even Suge Knight would be like, yeah, UW, they got it like that. They can have it. Yeah, come to death row. That means come to Seattle now. Now, at Washington, Wachowski won two Pac-12 titles, coached UW to the 2016 college football playoffs, so he's also been in this atmosphere before. Coached three All-Americans and the first NFL draft selection and first uh, unanimous All-American in one package in two decades at Washington. Like, he knows from defense, and you could see that in how the Texas defense has been playing. We'll get to that in a bit. On the other side, though, Kalen DeBoer, head coach at Washington. I, I love this man. I love him because I was very early on him as the offensive coordinator at Indiana and early on him as the head coach at Fresno State. When he became the head coach of Washington, close friends of mine were like, yo, dog, what do I have here in Kalen DeBoer? Why, why don't I like this? These are Washington fans. I'm going, that's a good football coach. You're, you're going to like him. He knows how to win football games. You should take a look at his record. Many people thought that Kalen DeBoer was a step down for Washington, not a step up. My goodness, has it proved to be the opposite. Not only is this man outstanding, but we're talking about 13-0 in the most difficult Pac-12 we have seen in at least a decade. 13-0 for a Washington team that last time went 13-0, won a national championship. A Heisman finalist at quarterback. One of the two best wide receivers in the sport out on the numbers for them. Kind of dude that plays with broken ribs. My goodness, Romo Dunzi. And then a man who does not lose football games. Like I had this stat a long time ago, but I'm going to pull it up here now. Washington with our man DeBoer, 24 and two over the last couple of years. That's good. They're riding a 20 game win streak. That's better. That man has won more than hundred games and lost 11. That man in a playoff atmosphere for which this is, is 17 and two at the NAIA level. Now I understand this is a larger stage. This is a bigger stage, but I am from the school of, are you a winner? Because if you're a winner, it doesn't matter what level you are coaching at. It doesn't matter what sport we're playing. If you're playing Scrabble, if we're bowling, if we're racing, a winner is a winner. It's part of who they are. It's what they do. It's how they get down. And Kalen DeBoer has shown, I'm a winner because I trust my playmakers to make plays in critical moments. And he does that over and over again with guys like Michael Penix Jr. and Romo Dunzi and even Dylan Johnson, who we'll get here in a second. Back to Texas for just a second here, though. I find it interesting that they will go into this playoff game with Arch Manning as the backup quarterback for Quinn Ewers. I find this interesting because I think you could be setting Arch Manning up for a Garrett Gilbert moment. So for young cats, 2010 BCS National Championship game featured Alabama versus Texas. Colt McCoy, one of the greatest to ever do it at the University of Texas starting quarterback. Marcel Darius hit that man so hard, he pinched a nerve in Colt McCoy's throwing shoulder, took him out for the game. In comes freshman phenom, Texas high school football's own Garrett Gilbert, a top, a top 15 recruit, number two quarterback in his 2009 dra uh, draft class, recruiting class, and the heir apparent to Garrett Gilbert. Comes in, it ain't go well. Not only does Marcel Darius get him too because he picked him off, it ends like this for Garrett Gilbert in that game. 15 of 40, 186, two TDs, four interceptions. Now, the epilogue on Gilbert's playing career is he bounced back. He transferred to SMU and even won a Super Bowl as a part of the 2014, or excuse me, 2015 New England Patriots practice squad. Okay, so he's got a ring. But being drafted in the sixth round is not what you want for Arch Manning. Okay, Quinn Ewers going down is not what you want for Arch Manning. 
Now, we could talk about Malik Murphy and his decision to enter the, the transfer portal at another date and why that is important and why we probably need to change the rules given what is going on with Malik Murphy and what's going on with Tate Rodemaker. But fact remains that Steve Sarkeesian is willing to roll the dice on Arch Manning in a college football playoff semifinal atmosphere if for whatever reason Quinn Ewers can't go. And by the way, that's not out of the realm of possibility. When Ewers got a shoulder blown up against Alabama last year, they lost that game. Got a shoulder blown up again because, well, that dude just don't slide. When he should slide, had to have Malik Murphy come in, not just in relief, but to start football games. So Quinn Ewers and being injury prone is a thing now. So you absolutely have to prepare Arch for the opportunity should it arise for him to go in there. It's just one to watch here, especially for a Texas team that wants to win his first national championship since 2005 and may have if Colt McCoy was, you know, healthy against that Alabama team for which is the jumping off point for everything we know about Nick Saban and Alabama and how dominant that program has been since the last 16 years, right? Now, keys to the game I think are interesting here. Number one, Quinn Ewers is a Rorschach test for any college football fan. Let's find out if that man is a first-round draft pick, right, or not. I would like to see him put it together because he went for 452, right, and a bunch of tutties against an Oklahoma State team that really just looked outclassed. But when you see him, there are some throws he makes that you're going, son, what did you see there? And there are other throws he makes like, yeah, all right, that's the five-star right there because the talent is there. The accuracy is there, but – Something about Quinn Ewers says Baker Mayfield to me, which means, yeah, all right, pretty good, probably could win the Heisman, but so inconsistent in his performances that it just gives you the willies. Like, he's not bad enough for him not to be your starter, but you just want him to be a little bit more consistent with his passing and his throws. Now, that could be helped by a really great performance by the Texas defense. Back to Quinn, uh, back to Pete Kwiatkowski for a second here. I think what he has been able to do in developing the defensive backs of that group into what they are is really just not been acknowledged the way it should. Malik Muhammad might be the best secondary player that Texas has right now. And I love Ryan Watts. I'm a huge Ryan Watts fan. But Malik Muhammad is going to have one hell of a challenge against a guy like Rome Odunzi. And Muhammad has, is every bit that dude. Like, he could be a first-round pick for them. Uh, I mean, an Earl Thomas uh, type for Texas if he can hold Odunzi in check, but I just don't know, man, because Washington is a better passing attack than Oklahoma was, and Oklahoma put a pot knot on Texas' head in the Cotton Bowl, okay? I think that if Romo Odunzi can do what he's been doing to everybody against Malik Muhammad, it could be a long day for that defense. Now, that said... It's not just Malik Muhammad. It is Jaron Thompson. It is Ryan Watson. There's an outstanding Texas front there that we got to talk about. But Texas, as an immovable object, is going to have to be a thing for Texas to win this football game. And they have been up front for the most part. Devondre Sweat, Byron Murphy II, Jalen Ford, all guys that I think are going to be drafted on day one. They're that good. That front seven is allowing just 81 rush yards per game. That's fourth best in the country. Tavondre Sweat, 42 tackles, eight tackles for loss. Uh, Byron Murphy, eight tackles for loss, five sacks. And then Jalen Ford coming off 119 tackles last year, has 91 this year, 10 and a half for loss, two INTs. They're good up front. So you're going to have one hell of a day. And that's before I start talking about my favorite true freshman on defense. It's Anthony Hill, man. That dude has lived up to the billing that I gave him in the summer. 
and that many people who know what five-star means expect from him as a pass rusher. What Harold Perkins was last year is what Anthony Hill is this year. 63 tackles, seven and a half for loss, and five sacks. Now, also in here, I don't expect Washington to be great running the football, but I do expect them to run the football. The reason I don't expect them to be great, though, is Ali Gordon finished this season as the FBS rushing champion, okay? Has an opportunity to make that even larger against AM in the Texas Bowl. But he rushed for just 34 yards on 13 carries against that Texas front. That is a man who was putting up 270, 280 on the ground. That is a man who had eight straight 100-yard rushing games, right? That was a dude, and they put the shackles on him, and he couldn't do nothing, not a zip. Turned Oklahoma State into an offense that did not function. That's outstanding. If you can do that to this Washington uh, offense, yeah, you're probably going to win this game. Now, it's also a Texas defense that didn't just do this against Oklahoma State, but against really great running teams in the Big 12. Like Kansas State rushed for 100 yards or more in every game that they had played, except the one they lost to Texas, right? They went for 30 rush yards on 29 rushes against that Texas front. Okay, again, you might be in a position that is about Quinn Ewers, kind of like being at Tuscaloosa, where come all without, come all within. Have we yet to see the mighty Quinn? Like that's that's what's going to be the difference maker for me for Texas. I expect Texas defense to hold up. I expect him to give them an, him an opportunity to go make some plays. But it's a man that's completed 71% of his passes, 21 TDs, six INTs this season. I went for 452 against Oklahoma State, beat Bama, who again, can win the national championship this year and won his first Big 12 title since 2009. And yet we still don't have a consensus on what Quinn Ewers is or isn't. I hope to find that out or get close to find that out in this game against Washington. Also adding here another storyline for him is if he plays lights out against Washington, wins Texas the national championship, is he coming back to help lead Texas into its first season in the SEC play? I sure as hell hope so because I like talking about Quinn Ewers playing college football, but you could see why. It might be the Arch Manning experience in 2024 if this goes the way that Texas would want it to go. And that, you know, all of this is me talking about Quinn years before I tell you that dude got weapons out on the numbers and in the backfield. Uh, Xavier Worthy, goodness me, takes the top off of defense. JT Sanders, if Brock Bowers is the best tight end in the country, JT Sanders is the second best tight end in the country, right? He's that good. Adonai Mitchell, another guy that's an outstanding stud. Jordan Whittington, stud. Cedric Baxter, stud. They got dudes to distribute the football to. And Steve Sarkeesian is going to do that window dressing movement that he loves to do, probably catch some guys out of space. And then Washington, who is a bend, don't break defense, might absolutely be breaking, right? That's how I get to keys for Washington going into this game. First one is offensive. Throw it. Throw it. Throw it. Like, this means... You just got to make light brown beef and chuck it. Like, I just, I don't know another way to say this except let Michael Pittick Jr. throw it as often as you possibly can to guys like Romo Dunzi, to guys like Jalen McMillan, right? I mean, he's got dudes in Jalen Polk. Like, don't make this overcomplicated, Ryan Grubb, okay? Your playmakers, for the most part, are on the numbers. And you got the best one that we've seen west of the Mississippi at quarterback, okay? You just make your Heisman finalist that dude. Now, I need to add in here, stats for the stats, folks. We're talking about Aroma Dunes, he's got over 1,400 yards, right? We're talking about Jalen Polk that's got over 1,000 yards. And we got Jalen McMillan, who looks fit and healthy. 
for the first time in months, right? Great tracking the ball and was second best wide receiver on that team before getting injured. And I think he can play like that against that Texas defense. Now, the Huskies boast the number one passing offense in the country. Again, chuck it. Okay, ground beef. Chuck it. I talk about 41 plays of 30 yards or more, which is third or uh, yes, third best in the country. So they're explosive too, and they're liable to hit you over the head if you allow it. It'll make them move the ball down the field. And in a shootout, Michael Pinnish Jr. is just Bass Reeves ex- executing a warrant signed by Judge Parker. Like deadly, accurate. I like that guy. If the scoreboard is going up, I might like, I think I like him a little bit. Yes. I like Michael Penix Jr. As the score rises more than I like Quinn Ewers. I think Quinn Ewers is going to make mistakes that Michael Penix Jr. is frankly a little long in the tooth to be making. All right. That is a reference to his age, but also his experience. He has been in tough winning situations all year. Nobody has played a tougher schedule in this playoff than the Washington Huskies. Okay. They've had to learn to win in so many different ways. They learned to win running the football, which is not a thing that I expected Washington to do well in 2023. Offensive line has also done an outstanding job of keeping Michael Penix Jr. upright. 11 sacks allowed all season. Also not a man that holds on to the football, so he's helping himself there too for those folks that believe that quarterback's sacks is a quarterback's statistic. But they also are getting help from a run game that has been outstanding in the second half of the season. Dylan Johnson went from never having rushed for 100 yards in any game he had played in his entire career to looking like coming straight out of Compton, like 100 yards and running. This dude has had 100 yards or more rushing in four games, 150 yards of rushing or more in two games, and had 250 against USC, and those 150 yards rushing came against top 25 opponents USC and Oregon. And we all think that Oregon is a great football team, okay? Matter of fact, Johnson's putting up 1,100 yards rushing, 14 TDs against, again, one of the toughest schedules that we have seen for any college football playoff team, frankly, in some time. But specifically this year, nobody can char- uh, nobody can say they played a tougher schedule among these four than Washington. Now, Washington's offense is, what I'm saying is, balanced, messed around, and got accidental Thanos. Because if they can run the ball and they can throw the ball as well as they have been the last couple of years, you could see how Washington could absolutely run away with this uh, Sugar Bowl title and punch a ticket to the college football playoff national championship. Now, that also means that, okay, let me put it this way. Hold the line, you magnificent dog defense of destiny, okay? Because, goodness me, I did not expect to see Oklahoma light at Washington where it's, Hey defense, please don't screw this up for us. That that's all. Don't screw this up for us. And that's where Washington Huskies fans are. I'm like, Hey dog, I see you. I understand what you mean there. Cause defense ain't great. Okay. The defense is middle of the road. Okay. Talk about top 70 in yards per play allowed. And that's when ZTF hasn't, you know, picked up the ball, run it back against Utah and then dropped it before going across the goal line. You can't, you can't, you can't, can't do that against Texas. You're going to lose. All right. We got to keep our wits about us here. They got a bunch of dudes that I love bunch of dudes that load up the lunch pail and go to work. I don't know that they got a first rounder on that defense. They're good, but I don't know. Maybe we're talking about perhaps Braylon Trice, who's been outstanding for them. He's got eight tackles for loss and five sacks. But again, it's a team that ain't been great when we're, especially when we're talking about explosive plays. They, they have allowed, oh my goodness, they have allowed explosive plays against every team that they have faced this season. 
uh, 20 yards or more. And that also means that the Husky defense, at least in total yards, ranked 123rd out of 131 FBS teams. Again, it ain't it ain't great. And if you let Quinn Ewers and that offense get to rolling, I don't know. You might have to force a shootout or Michael Penix Jr. might have to force a shootout. So get to winning time. That's the last key for Washington on this front. Get into the final four minutes, five minutes of the game with a shot to win it or with the lead. Because if you get into winning time, you have shown as Washington Huskies this year and last year, you will win that football game. As a matter of fact, it's not just the winning 20 straight. It's how they have won it. They run it, run, running the ball. They won it without Jalen McMillan. They run it out throwing people. They, they won games that everybody expected them to lose. Washington in Seattle, Washington playing Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Like I just, we didn't expect Washington to be that team that is finding ways to win late. I think Washington is what we expected Texas Christian to be last year. Honestly, it's just, it's a much better undefeated program and one that we all trust so much so that they're the number two team in the country. So you can't hold back. You have to gut the house. That means throwing the kitchen sink at people and you got to make like, you got to finish this by God, it arrived for the Washington Huskies in 2023. Like, I like to think of the Huskies as pulling iron will on their way to Nome, Alaska. You, you're in the last stage. This is it. All right. You got a full belly. You're rested. It's 22 miles to the end. Angus McTeague be damned. Finish the damn race. All right. This is going to be a lot of fun if y'all can do this. I don't think anybody is going to be mad at Washington making a college football playoff national championship. And as an Oklahoma fan, I'm not going to turn down nothing but this turtleneck. You know how mad I'd be to see Texas win a national championship college football playoff there for Oklahoma? Given Oklahoma been there, you know what? I could get into a position where I start blowing out the mic again, and that's not what we want, so I'm just going to tamp it back down before I start talking about Texas beating Oklahoma to a national championship college football playoff. So like I've been saying, winning time is Husky time, but I'm still going to pick Texas. This is the analyst in me. This is the dude that's watching ball, watching all the college football. Like, like that's, that's my job description. Watch as much college football as there is to watch and be knowledgeable about what you see. And unbiased when we're coming to take, making picks on what you see. I see Texas being a much more sound defense. They're legitimately good Texas defense. Like Texas offensively is what they have been. Talented, capable, right? So is the Washington offense. But if we're talking about stopping people from scoring, Texas is, getting a better, uh, is in a better position to do that than Washington, unless Washington can play above its level. I just don't see that happening. So, I mean, I guess this means that I'm expecting to see a September rematch in the college football playoff national championship game between Alabama and Texas, in which case I think y'all know which one I'm going to pick there. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. We will be back after the Sugar Bowl on New Year's Day to talk about who's going to play in the college football playoff national championship and get you set for what is going to be one wild week leading up to crowning our 2023 champion. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torrin Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special in our special team. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Aaron Schechter is sending in the signals alongside Chris Cheshire. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays 
from the sideline, my very own personal Tommy Reese. Love you, man. And the play snaps on my clap. We're back live on Monday night following the Sugar Bowl. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Deuces.